How good was that, eh? Yeah, pretty special. Hey, um, just if there are any kids uh, still here who need to go out to um, kids' ministry, Jono's at the back door, and so he's there waiting for you to take you out for an amazing time. Okay. So we've been going on this journey uh, through... Uh, the last few months, going through the, the, the Gospel of Luke and uh, just looking at the life of Jesus, just what an amazing life it's been. But as we come towards the end of the Gospel of Luke, today we're looking at uh, Jesus' parting words to us, his final words. Now, I did a bit of research about this, about our famous last words. And uh, throughout history, um, there's been a lot of attention being paid to, to last words. Now, I've got to tell you, some are pretty crazy. I just want to uh, read out a few to you. First of all, there was, uh, uh, and here's an example of some really, really grumpy last words. Have you heard of Karl Marx? Yeah, so Karl Marx said his last words were this. He says, go on, get out. Last words are for fools who have not yet said enough. <laughs> So I thought that was an interesting one. And then there's some weird last words. There's a guy called John Drew whose last words are pretty weird. They were Joan of Arc did. Now I'll give you some context here. Joan of Arc. Does anyone know who Joan of Arc was? Yeah, well, she led a revolution, she was led a revolution against the English, and she ended up as a young girl being burned at the stake. So um, the fires started around her feet and then came up. Well, you see, as John was dying, his family gathered around the deathbed, and one of his daughters asked, is, is he dead yet? And another daughter replied, feel his feet. No one ever dies with warm feet. Upon hearing this, John Drew opened his eyes and quipped, Joan of Arc did, and then he died. <laughs> so, they were his famous last words. Now, there are, I just want to read you out a couple of really beautiful last words as well. Um, D.L. Moody, who was a famous evangelist, said, I, I see earth receding, heaven is opening, God is calling me. Isn't that beautiful? Um, that's, that, that's just a... A stunning way to go. But then also, believe it or not, Steve Jobs from Apple um, had uh, some incredible last words. You know, he, he ended up getting cancer and uh, um, then on his deathbed he was there with his lifelong partner and, and his, his daughters and, uh, and his sister Patty. And then he looked, looked beyond their shoulders, looked over their, their shoulders and his final words were these, oh wow, oh wow. Oh, wow. And then a few hours later, he died. But he obviously caught some form of glimpse into eternity. And uh, just right at that last, with his last words, he expressed something of a grandeur of actually what was here waiting for him. Now, often a person's last words are profound, but not to be rushed aside. Uh, some of you would remember uh, have been around for a, a long time, like Anne, for example, and probably the Griffiths would remember years ago, um, there was a lady in the church by the name of Gay. And um, do you remember Gay, Anne? Yeah. And um, Gay uh, had some health issues, and um, she, she was probably in the 50s at the time, so not, not very old at all. Uh, but... And she was in a small group um, at this point in, in her life, uh, a small group that I led. And then uh, she had to go away to uh, the mainland uh, for a period of time to go and, and visit some relatives over there and some people she knew. And I just had this incredible sense that 
uh, we won't be seeing Gay again. And just had this incredibly strong sense, and I shared it with a small group. I don't think they understood what I was saying, but I think we've seen the last of Gay. I don't think we'll be seeing her again. And then I remember one Friday night, uh, the phone rang at home. And I picked it up, and who was it? It was Gay. And we, we had this conversation, and I just felt lifted in my spirit, absolutely lifted in my spirit. And she was back in Launceston, and I was surprised because I didn't think, didn't think we we're going to see her again. And uh, I remember we were talking about the last um, verse in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, where it says, Now, uh, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And Gay was telling me that in one translation, uh, she was reading and talked about how love goes on forever. And that, that really impacted her and it really impacted me as we were talking about it. And I remember getting off the phone and I was just, you know, felt spiritually really, really high, really lifted up. And then I found out of the last words that Gay ever spoke to anyone uh, because she died shortly after that in her house alone. Um, and that stayed with me for about 25 years. And, you know, I believe that there was such a transformation in Gay's life uh, because when she, we first met her, she couldn't even walk into a room um, without, uh, with people there. And if there was a, a small group, like she'd walk in like this and she'd carry her coffee mug everywhere because um, it was a, a, like a security blanket for her. But she, over the f a few years, as she came to faith, came to know Jesus, the transformation was just unreal. And let me be honest, often when she'd ring up, you think, oh, it's gay on the phone again. Because you know that there'd be hours, you know, quite, it could easily be hours on the phone. But this, this time when she rang, it was, it was like the transformation had been so radical. I was so blessed by that and so blessed by those last words. Now... I wanted you to consider Jesus and his last words uh, whilst he was on earth here today. And as I said, over much of this year, we've looked at what an extraordinary life he lived. Uh, then last week, we looked at how he proved his identity uh, through both his, uh, his crucifixion and his resurrection. And he, he proved to all and sundry uh, who could have faith to believe that he was truly the son of God. Now, after he was resurrected, 40 days after he was resurrected, he then ascended to heaven. And um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, I want you to imagine that you're some of Jesus' besties, his disciples, and you're with him. And you're at that place where he's about to ascend into heaven. And he raises his hands and, and he blesses you. And then you see that he's got something that he wants to say to you. And you probably know that these are the last words you'll actually physically hear from Jesus. Do you reckon you'd be paying attention? I, I reckon I would be. I reckon um, I'd be listening for, to catch, a, catch a, a glimpse of, of what he had to say, what his parting words were, what his final words were because I knew that they'd be of such, such great importance. They wouldn't be trivial like, Tim, you need a haircut, or they wouldn't be a joke or anything like that. But this was a culmination of his earthly ministry. And as he was about to depart, he was leaving us with uh, these critical words, these critical instructions. So let's find out and look at Luke chapter 24, verses 44 uh, to 53. 
And you'll see on the screen that Jesus said to them, this is why I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And just on that, in, in Matthew chapter 5, we see that he, he, he claims that he actually fulfilled all of that. So all that was written about him in the Old Testament was fulfilled through his life, death and resurrection. Then he opened the mind, their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. I'm just going to pray before we go any further. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and leading a life of love and a life that was, was just perfect. Thank you for your amazing teaching. Thank you that you're prepared to go to the cross to die for, for myself and for each of us. Thank you that you defeated death and you rose again from the dead. Thank you that you've ascended to the Father in heaven. Thank you also that you've sent your Holy Spirit to us. And you've given us a, a commission. You've given us a sense of what we are to do on this earth. Father, I, I pray that uh, for everyone here today that our hearts will be open, that our minds will be open, that our spirits will be open, just to receive what you have for us today, and that you'll saturate us in your presence through your Holy Spirit, that you'll bring insight and open our minds, just as the early disciples had their minds opened, that you'll speak to us and that we'll grasp hold of what you say to us. And as that we leave here today, we'll leave here knowing um, the call that you have for each and every one of us. Lord, I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's now unpack, spend a few minutes uh, to unpack uh, what it was of critical importance that Jesus was saying and what's still important to us today. You see, last week we saw that Jesus was crucified, but on the third day he rose uh, again from the dead. And now Jesus was not only opening their minds to understand what had happened, he was actually literally blowing their minds. Can you say that for me? Blowing their minds? Blowing their minds. That's, that's what he was doing. I want you to understand that. You see, <coughs> the Greek word here for repentance is metanoia. Say that. Say metanoia for me. Metanoia. And Alan Hirsch has written a book called Metanoia. I reckon it's a more trendy title than repentance, to be honest. <coughs> And where he has unpacked what uh, metanoia or repentance actually means. And you might think that the word repentance means to say that you are sorry and promise not to do it again. It means much, much more than that. Uh, you might also think that the call to repentance is all about telling someone that they are bad and wrong and that they need to change. But again, it's much more than that. 
And I want to look at a quote from Alan's book. He says that the Greek term metanoia, traditionally and inadequately translated as repentance, means something more like a radical change of mind. I want you to say that, radical change of mind. Radical change of mind. Um, or a fundamental intellectual reorientation. Alan uses lots of big words. Um, through which we turn away from older habits of thought and action and embrace a new way of thinking and living. Repentance means not primarily a sense of regret, but a renunciation of a narrow and sectarian human views which are not large enough for God's mystery. It is about a transformed metaphysical vision of reality. Taken together, we believe the best translation of metanoia is simply paradigm shift or perhaps more colloquially the experience of having your mind blown jesus was saying that this repentance was coming to all nations i think jesus is saying that a huge paradigm shift will take place where god blows our minds and as a result we will choose to turn away from older habits of thoughts and action and embrace a new way of thinking and living. And that's what repentance means. He wants us to have our, our minds blown so that we no longer believe that uh, finding our way into eternity with, with him comes as a result of, of being good enough or doing good enough, uh, enough good things. He wants us to have our mind blown so that we no longer believe that we don't need forgiveness for our sins. He wants us to have a paradigm change to understand that forgiveness of our sins is absolutely critical if we're to spend eternity with him. He wants to see our, our mind blown and our paradigms change so that we no, believe that, no longer believe that going through religious rituals and observances is enough. It's not. It's not enough. But sometimes we can easily get into that mode and think, no, if, I, if I'm a good person, if I just go to church and do all of these things, um, that's it. But it's not enough because he wants our hearts. He, he wants to deal with our sins and he wants our hearts. So metanoia. He wants us to understand the new paradigms. And he wants us to put off this kind of thinking and embrace a paradigm shift where we realise that we need Jesus and we need to have our sins forgiven. We need his good news. Uh, that summarises why Jesus came to earth. In, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, uh, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. By his death and resurrection, Jesus made this possible. When we have our minds blown about what he has done for us and receive forgiveness for our sins. Well, that's great news, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus has got some more for us about that. You might say, well, it's really, really good, but so what? Well, let's talk about the so what now. So the passage goes on uh, where Jesus says, repentance of the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, in Jesus' name, to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples. And we might say, hey, that's cool. We can actually sit back on television and watch this happening. Or we can go to a large church where we see this happening. 
uh, this is a, going to be a fantastic spectator sport. But I don't think that's what he was actually saying. You see, Jesus, in, in the book of Acts, where Luke then started, for, if you like, the sequel to, to the book of Luke, uh, he says, you will be my witnesses. We see the finger, instead of pointing away, starting to point back to us. And we know that there is a, a job description coming out of this for each and every one of us, where we will be his witnesses. So it's a massively important shift that takes place, a shift from them to us, being called by Jesus and commissioned to be his witnesses. You with me still? You understand? This is a, a call for each and every one of us. And just coming along to church and enjoying good worship and listening to a message and enjoying great fellowship, that's not what Jesus is ultimately calling us to do. It might be part of it. But you see, the church exists because of a great commission. Because the church exists to fulfill his mission here on this earth. We cannot ignore that. And he came to seek and save the lost. We cannot ignore the redemptive ministry, the redemptive mission that brought Jesus to this earth. And the baton has been passed as Jesus ascended to us, the church. There's not one person who's a follower of Jesus that the baton has been passed beyond that person. It's been passed to each and every one of you. You see, he calls each of us to bring people to repentance where they embrace the new paradigms that blow their preconceived notions and introduce them to Jesus who can forgive the sins as he does what he said he'd do to come and seek and save those who are lost. Now, I want to dwell for a few moments what this means. You see, metanoia means that we have to unlearn some things so that we can learn new things. Now, I was brought up as a Catholic and went through Catholic school, just like Andrew was, and, and probably quite a few of you here were too. But I realised that when I came to faith, when I genuinely came to faith, I realised that a lot of what I'd actually been taught and knew and experienced was perhaps not right. Now, by the way, I'm not Catholic bashing or knocking or anything. I know some beautiful Catholics. But I, I came to realise, as I, I did my own research, um, and that led me to coming to faith and having an experience of encountering Jesus, I realised that what I had been brought up in was a Catholic tradition. Now, there's the same for others here. Who, Whatever tradition you're brought up in, for some it's that your tradition is total churchlessness uh, and you, you don't understand what it actually means to, to, be, to come to faith. But for others of you, your tradition has come from, from going to church. Now, I want you to understand that there may be stuff there that you actually have to put off to actually embrace uh, what Jesus is really asking you to do. Because what happens is that traditions seep in. Teaching seeps in, which may not be totally in line with the words of Jesus. You know, there are 45,000 denominations around the world. And the reason why there's so many denominations is generally because there's a, a difference in doctrine 
uh, from one denomination to another. And as time has gone by, I believe that uh, we have seen more and more, you know, there's a movement around the world more and more coming to, to grips with what the words of Jesus are actually calling us to, to do and to be. So we need to be prepared to put off old thinking. That's also scriptural, like in Isaiah 43, 18. Um, Behold, I'm doing a new things. Forget the former things. Don't, don't dwell on the past. I'm doing a new things. Uh, and Paul talks about forgetting what is ahead, straining forward, uh, forgetting what is behind, straining forward to what is ahead. We, we have to understand that when we have teaching which we haven't understood before or embraced before, sometimes it's not a matter of just adding that on to what we've already believed, but sometimes we actually have to replace what we've believed with what we now understand. Now, I'm not asking you to just go and... Uh, glib, glibly change um, change your thinking here, but if you if you need to look into things, look into them. But I want you to understand this: when there's a new concept, a new understanding that comes to you, you have to be brave enough, perhaps, to discard the old because perhaps the old wasn't right. Now, personally, that has been a frequent thing for me, in the fact that I look back and I think, did I believe that ten years ago? Um, where I un my understanding has changed, but my understanding at times has meant that I've actually had to put off what I previously believed. And at times as I say, actually, that was the wrong slant on thing. I was wrong. So here you go. You heard me. I, I was wrong. Okay, you won't hear that again, but I was wrong. But sometimes we need to do that to take on the new. I'll give you a couple of examples. For example, a person who felt that they were good enough to go to heaven needs to put off that old thinking to embrace the new thinking that we're saved by what Jesus has done for us. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that we have been saved uh, through faith. And this is not from yourself. This is a gift of God. So that's something that someone who uh, is outside of a church, some thinking that they might have to put off, or perhaps even some people inside of a church. And here's another paradigm that we need to put off to embrace what Jesus is saying to us all. You know, we might have the paradigm that it's the church's responsibility to tell people about Jesus and his good news. And to be honest, I think that's, that's been the, a dominant paradigm, a dominant paradigm, not the, but a dominant paradigm amongst the Western church for decades, where we think, oh, I'll bring someone to church and the they can hear from the pastor. It's the church's job to see people saved. I'll go to this church because they're saving lots of people. The paradigm shift here is that there's a personal responsibility that each and every one of us must have. It's everyone's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility to tell people about the Jesus and his good news. You see, if we have believed that it's the church's responsibility or even the responsibility of just the leaders... We need to repent. We need to have our mind blown by the new paradigms, new thinkings that come about. We need to metanoia and change our paradigm by letting go of our old wrong thinking and embracing new thinking that is in line with Jesus' commands. You see, the church exists as a place where followers of Jesus can gather together in loving community. We understand that. But it's also to be equipped, where you come to come into the church to be equipped 
matured and then from where you go out to do the work Jesus is actually telling us to. In a way, the church is a bit like a petrol station. You know, we're here on Jesus' mission and we call in to get refueled, but we don't stay at the petrol station. There's still a journey that's in front of us as Jesus is calling us onto this journey, which is a continuation of his coming to earth all of those years ago. The church, church isn't our destination. It's just a, a resting, resting place, a refilling place that we can come out of and to go and do the work that Jesus is calling us to do. Now, that is a huge paradigm shift for many in churches around this nation. That is a huge paradigm shift. But it's scriptural, and I'll show you a bit more about that. So, we've looked at the Great Commission here in Luke briefly. Now, let's look at the other Gospels and how they finish with Jesus' parting words. We see in Mark chapter 16... Verse 15, where Jesus said to his followers, go into the world and preach the good news to all creation. So who was that being sent to? Said to? People who follow Jesus. People who follow Jesus. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to go into other countries. I just want to just pause here for a second. Um, uh, some of you know Sharon's got a sister that's in a, uh, an Islamic republic and uh, as a missionary. So she is one of these people that have gone into all the world. So sister and her husband are over there, and just these last few days, Christians have started being arrested over there. It's a very, very touchy situation in, in this particular country. Um, you know, our prayers are going out to them, and I'll just encourage people to pray for Sharon's sister and, and her husband uh, for their safety. But at the same time, you know, like a message that we got yesterday uh, from the sister was talking about how God's refining his church. I didn't hear fear in those words. But there was a, a trust that God is doing um, what is necessary, uh, that God's still in control. Um, I won't go on with more, but um, I, I look at that and I look at the courage that, that people like that have to go out into a country where um, I think uh, the Christian population is less than one quarter of one percent and those, those, uh, quite a few of those Christians are being rounded up at the moment. What courage. But then I look at us and I think, do we actually have the courage to go to our next door neighbour or a family member and actually to, to be a missionary to them? See, they're different situations. But Jesus is calling each and every one of us in our own context to be a missionary to the world. It might be where we live, it might be in our workplace, it might be in our sport, on our sports field, or it might be like Sharon's sister in a distant country. But not one of us is exempt from the call that Jesus has for us. Then we see in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we see um, uh, Matthew recording this where he says that therefore go and make disciples of all nations. That's, what that's saying is go and make disciples of all people everywhere amongst all different people groups. And it says baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Again, it's, it's talking about 
We have a job to do, friends. There's not one of us that doesn't have this commission that has actually come to us. Not one. We can't just disregard, uh, shake off responsibility and say, oh, that's, that's Tim and Sharon's job or that's Jono's job or uh, that's the church's job. It's our job. When we look at in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. <laughs> okay, let, let's unpack this. What did the Father send Jesus to do? To seek and save the lost. It was starting to get through that we understand that there is a, a that these last words, these parting words, have gone down through the passage of time to us here today, nearly 2,000 years later. Jesus is calling us to be obedient. And we might say, look, my, my gig's worship, not telling people about Jesus. Well, John 14, 15 talks about worship. It says, if you really love me, and that's what worship's about, showing, showing love, you'll obey my commands. <laughs> the ultimate way we can worship our Lord and Saviour is by living the life that he actually has for us. You might say, that's okay, but I'm not an evangelist. Do you know how many times in the New Testament the word evangelist or evangelism is used? Three times. I don't believe evangelism is a gift per se. It's in Ephesians 4.11, some are called to be evangelists or gifted. That's like a ministry call. But each and every one of us has responsibility for it, to, to be involved in, in taking the message of Jesus to others. You just can't say, it, it's not my gig. I, I could easily say, well, hey, wisdom is not my gig either. That's why I'm stupid at times. It doesn't let me off the, off the, uh, off the hook at all, does it? Thank you, Rachel. Yeah, that's enough from you. So Jesus has his commission. It's the culmination of his ministry. But we, we also heard something similar right at the beginning of his ministry. He said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. Now, around our country, there are a lot of people who say they're followers of Jesus. But I don't see a lot of fishing getting done. And I think there's... What often happens is that we, we want the church to do what Jesus is calling us to do. The church has got important purposes, including equipping us and helping mobilise us. But we can't get over the fact that Jesus is speaking each of these instructions to us. So, the message of Jesus is at the core of, of what Jesus was saying with his last words. This message is at the core of what Jesus is saying with his last words and at the core of what it means to be a Christian, even today. And he calls each of us to make disciples who will go and be his witnesses, but then go on and making more disciples. You see, that's where we often truncate it. We'll say we're his disciples without realising that our, it's our call to go and make other disciples. We want to live as his disciples without going into the fullness of that call. Now, next year we'll be training you further in the, uh, the blessed principles. Can you remember the blessed principles? Um, we've talked about it a bit this year. It's, it's begin with prayer, listen, 
Go and eat with your friends. You know, enjoy good fellowship with them. Serve them. Yeah. And then share with them. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. Um, but in the meantime, you can pray for others. That's not a bad thing to do, is it? Uh, you can invite them to Alpha. And guess what? You don't actually have to wait for an Alpha group to start. You can actually download the videos or send me a message and I'll get you the videos. And you could do it one-on-one -on -one with someone who's interested. Uh, you could tell people your own story of how you've come to faith or how your life has been changed through your faith. And I've got some more good news for you. And I, I must um, come to the end soon. I've got some more good news for you. Jesus doesn't expect you to do it on your own. He promises to empower you so that you can do it with his power. He can help you do it. Uh, I, I remember uh, one story. There was, um, again, some of you have been around for a long time uh, in this church, uh, would know this person. But, um, and, and I know you knew Doug. Do you remember Doug? Um, Doug was um, outside uh, when we are down to Riverside Community Centre before we moved to the tail race. And he was outside having a fag, came from a pretty rough background, I think. And, and um, I looked, went up to him and I saw that his whole throat was, was a really dark, leathery brown. Not just suntan, you know, you could tell something was wrong. I said, Doug, what's wrong? What's up with you? And he talked to me then about his uh, cancer that he had. And apparently the doctors were on the verge of actually uh, taking his tongue out. <laughs> and um, I heard that there was a, a person coming to Launceston uh, from New Guinea, from Papua New Guinea. His name was Johannes, and apparently he was a miracle worker and was going to uh, be having a healing service uh, one night that week. I said to Doug, I said, Doug, I don't know this guy. I don't know um, if he's a real deal or anything like that, um, but I'm going to go to the service, and will you come with me? And so Doug went to the service, and Johannes yeah, Johannes was powerful. It was amazing what happened. But then we took Doug up for prayer at the end. And as soon as Johannes started praying for Doug, Doug went down and hit the ground. Um, he was, went down under the, the power of the Holy Spirit. But then the most remarkable thing happened. I was looking over Doug as, as uh, he was on the ground. And I could see two fingers wide. Colour, just coming, normal colour coming back to his throat. And just going up his throat. <sighs> he called it later. He called it his highway to heaven. And um, you could just see the miracle taking place uh, as, as Johannes had prayed for him. Now, because of the cancer, Doug hadn't been able to salivate. But when Doug came to us, I said, Doug, look what's happened. And um, he said, I can salivate again. And he raced off into the, into the toilets to have a look in the mirror and he could see this highway to heaven that was there. Doug ended up coming to faith. I wonder why. Uh, being touched by God in such a way, touched by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in such a way. <coughs> he came to faith. But then the tragedy was, uh, just some months later, he, he died in a freak accident. He was loading wood into his car and the car rolled backwards and crushed him and he was killed. Doug's time was clearly up. But you know what? The highway to heaven became a reality for him. And as we did the funeral for Doug, we were able to uh, just praise God for the fact that um, Doug was with him in heaven. And we thank the Holy Spirit 
through the incredible work that the Holy Spirit did. You see, God will use us. But the question is, will we be open to being used by him? The passage here uh, says, Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but that which is the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And the other Gospels all say something similar. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, again written by Luke, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. Mark, then the disciples went out and preached everywhere in obedience to the Great Commission. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word with us, uh, by the signs that accompanied it. Matthew 28, after the command to go and make disciples, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Jesus promises to go with us as we're, we're embarking on what he's called us to do. John 20, 22. As the Father sent me, so too I send you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was imparted to them. You see, Jesus gives us a promise to supernatural power. But it comes with a premise that we'll be obedient to do what Jesus is actually calling us to do, which is to be his witnesses. Now, I've just got two really quick up more other stories I want to tell you about, about how this can happen. Um, I know a guy who lives in Switzerland, house overlooking Lake Lausanne, and he's a doctor and a mountain climber. And he's spent a, his name's Roger. And he's often gone into third world countries uh, doing mission work. At one stage, he, went, he, he felt God telling him to go and take Bibles into Tibet. Not an easy task. So he went and, and, and packed a suitcase full of Bibles. This was probably 20 years ago uh, that I heard this story, nearly 20 years ago. And um, went to take the Bibles into Tibet. It was difficult getting into Tibet because it's, it's Chinese controlled. He ended up hitching a ride with a Chinese mir uh, military truck. And so he had his, his one, in one hand his, his personal effects in a bag and in the other hand his Bibles in a bag and, it, and he hitched a ride. And then he went through a checkpoint where they were searching everyone and searching people's goods to make sure that they, they, um, they weren't taking stuff into, into Tibet that they shouldn't. So Roger put up uh, on the bench his bag that had his personal effects and that was searched. And the other bag that, didn't, that had his Bibles wasn't searched. And so he went through, the, went through the military checkpoints. God's grace is so incredible. I don't know if the Holy Spirit uh, blinded the minds of the guards or whatever. But then he got into Tibet and he was staying in a, a, a hotel um, in Tibet and he thought I've got these Bibles what do I do with them I don't know who I'm supposed to give them to <coughs> and so after the first night there he went down onto the street and there was a Tibetan man there and the man said are you the man who's come with the books for me you see we've got a God who works at a level which is immeasurably greater than we could ever imagine or understand and to see the miraculous happen in terms of big miracles or little miracles, I think one of the things we need to do is to step out in obedience. I'll tell you one, one more quick story. 
Some of you remember Bettina, who came to faith here some years ago, lives down the northwest coast now. Her first ever time uh, in a church, she came along here and she just felt to, compelled to come along here and she sat at a table up front. And unluckily for her, it was the table I was sitting at. And we, we ended up talking, of course, and we greeted her, welcomed her. And at the end, I just felt a real, oh, I should pray for her. So I said, Bettina, do you mind if I pray for you? Oh, no, I guess that's okay. Do you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder? That's okay. And I can't remember the exact words, but it was something like, as I was praying, I just, and when I pray, it's not like I hear a, a loud voice in my ear. Sometimes it's a very, very, very subtle uh, impression. And I just, um, I just went with it. And I, I, I thank God. I thank God. Thank you for giving Bettina the courage to come out, out of her house and to leave her room and to actually come here where she can meet other people. At the end of a prayer, she said, you've just read my mail. How did you know all of that? Who told you? And I said, it's what's called a word of knowledge. And that's how the Holy Spirit will work with us. It's not necessarily the big kabam. But sometimes it's like a gentle breeze. You know, the Gospel of John, it talks about describing the, the Spirit as being like a gentle breeze. Well, we can't see where it's coming from. We can't see where it's going to. But, you know, we can sense it. We can sense the working of the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit is waiting for us to need Him and His power to tell people about Jesus and His good news and make disciples who will follow Him. Can I encourage you with your non-Christian friends? Don't be freaky, but say, hey, do you mind if I just pray for you? If you're talking to them, can I just pray for you? And just be open to, you know, don't, don't be just thinking, what do I have to say? What do I have to say? Just chill out and be relaxed and allow the Holy Spirit to, to guide us. Friends, we've come to the end of the service pretty well today. I've got some discussion questions. But I just wonder what the Holy Spirit's doing in you today. What the Holy Spirit is saying to each and every one of you. Not to bring guilt, but to bring hope for the future. And perhaps to bring courage for the future. As we finish, we'll have a discussion questions. What did the Holy Spirit say to you today? Please just, just uh, discuss these around the table. What's the Holy Spirit asking you to do? What are the next steps? Who can I go and actually connect with, have coffee with? Who can I start praying for? Um, who can I listen to? Who can I eat with? Who can I serve? Who can I share my story or the story of, of the good news of Jesus with today? And then I'll encourage you to pray for each other around the table. Pray for <clears throat> boldness, that we'll have the boldness, but also the sensitivity to be able to step into what God's doing, to be obedient to Jesus' last words. Pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you and praise you that you are such an amazing God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fall upon each and every one of us here today that you saturate us with your holy and beautiful presence and that you ignite something in us today that will never, ever be extinguished. Lord, use us. Use us as if you have called us. You have given us this great commission. Lord, blow our minds 
with what you're calling us to do, but blow the minds of others as they come to repent, to understand new paradigms, to receive forgiveness of sins, and to understand and embrace the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, just ask that you'll speak to us today and bring conviction, bring deep conviction to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, thanks for coming today. Please just spend a bit of time around the tables and then just when you're ready, you're you're welcome to, to go and head off into the week. Be blessed. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you've enjoyed the message and that it's had great impact on you. If you want prayer, would like to connect with us further, or you just have questions, we would love to chat. You can find us at www.tarescommunitychurch.com.au or you can find us on Facebook. Have a great week.